You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Ray Harkins. Thank you very much for listening to the show and the episodes in general. Um, you know, I appreciate uh, all of the random emails I got from, uh, you know, taking last week off just because I did not feel like it was, uh, you know, the appropriate time taking up space, you know, just kind of acting like everything was normal because, uh, you know, let's be honest, nothing is normal. Nothing's been normal for quite some time. Um, but last week in particular just felt extremely heavy, but I'll, I'll talk to more about that in a moment. We have Will Putney who is on the show this week, and he plays in a band called Fit for an Autopsy, but more importantly, he plays in a band called End, uh, maybe not more importantly, but more, I guess, relevant of this exact moment, because End just released a new record last week called Splinters from an Ever-Changing Face. It's a brutal, visceral record. I am a very large fan of it, and I've wanted to have Will on the show for a while, because uh, we ran across each other, and we played some shows together, I want to say, in 2018, and um, I've been a fan of his production work for quite some time. He is uh, the producer du jour right now, um, you know, and has been for, you know, the past couple of years, if you were a heavy band, Will Putney is for sure on your list to work with. And I think that uh, the work that he does is uh, is pretty awesome. So Will and I dove deep into it. And I, I my mind was blown. I'm not going to lie, because he had a whole different trajectory for his life. Um, music was always a part of it. But uh, just this, this really interesting kind of, um, you know, uh, I guess, career path that was opening up before him. And he was like, no, I, I just I just can't do this. So we get to discuss with him in a moment about that. But uh, yeah, you, are you okay? Please take care of yourself. Whatever it is you're doing, um, we are just in in absolutely insane times. And uh, the best thing that you can do for yourself is ultimately taking care of yourself, you know, whatever it may, whatever that may mean to you. And, uh, you know, holding your loved ones close and, you know, being able to support where you can, not only financially, but of your time. And, uh, you know, I, I feel much better than I did last week, just looking at these uh, incremental pieces of progress that uh, we've been able to see in regards to all of these peaceful protests that have been happening around the country and trickling down to suburbs and small cities. And it's just, uh, it's unbelievable. I've, I've never witnessed anything like this. Um, and seeing these changes that, uh, you know, police departments are starting to make across the country. Um, you know, I know they are small steps and they are, uh, you know, it's part of the, uh, you know, arc of history that uh, these things, you know, happen uh, not in, you know, a single downpour, but in raindrops. And uh, I'm just very excited to be able to support in every way I can, whether that's, uh, you know, donating financially, uh, showing up to some protests where I can. And uh, I'm just, I just encourage you to, you know, figure out what this whole thing means to you. Um, because it's not as simple as just like, well, I am not a member of the Ku Klux Klan, so I'm not racist. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that, which, you know, frankly, I kind of 
you know, have always thought of that of myself where it's like, I have never thought about people being less than me, uh, because of the color of their skin. But, uh, what does that actually mean in regards to, um, systemic racism and, uh, how that affects us, uh, not only as individuals, but as society. So yes, I would, I just highly encourage you to, uh, to reckon with that on a real, real level. And these protests are making a lot of people do that. And, uh, you know, just this past week in, or this past weekend in Los Angeles, I mean, it's like 20,000 people showed up of all, you know, range of races, genders, you know, diversity was completely, completely represented there. And uh, it's really, really heartening to see that. So, that's uh, that's what I'm feeling now. So, and I, I feel so good about that that uh, you know I, I want to have these episodes release, and I want to be able to uh, have these discussions because I find in times of you know uh, I guess uh, crisis, in times of stress, is that when you are able to listen to conversations with people, um, it's it's comforting. You know, you feel like you're a part of it. Um, and that's what I want to be here for you, the listener. So, anyways, here's Will. Like I said, End just released a record, really, really good, called Splinters from an Ever-Changing Face. You can listen to it on any streaming platform you want. And uh, yeah, here is Will. person when we did those uh, dates in Canada with uh, End and Taken. And it was one of those things where, um, you know, you immediately struck me as, uh, you know, a dude who's obviously kind of, you know, down to hang and, you know, play shows and kind of your, um, you know, quote unquote, typical band dude. And I I don't mean that in a disparaging way. Um, But at at the same time that, you know, you you seemed pretty uh, reserved, like, and I, Again, I don't mean that in a bad way, just in the like, you know, you're not the guy that's like, you know, you're not uh, Brendan, the life of the party, so to speak. (laughs) So I uh, I presume that people have a certain expectation, uh, you know, when they're like, you know, heading into the studio with you or, you know, maybe think you are a certain person and then you turn out to be something different. Um, you know, do you have any kind of sense of like maybe what people, uh, you know, I guess kind of expect from you or if your reputation precedes you in any, any capacity, or is that something that is just something you don't spend any mental energy towards? Um, I think it's a combination of a, a couple things. I don't, uh, I don't act differently. I just, I just am who I am, you know? Um, but I definitely, you know, when I get to know people, I'm probably a little more outgoing of a human being, you know, but, uh, but yeah, like you said, I don't, I don't, I'm like, I just feel older around people at shows sometimes. Not that I am very old, but I don't feel like I don't drink or do drugs or anything. So there's no like party mode for me. Party mode for me is like spending, hanging out with my friends and making jokes on tour and stuff like that. So I definitely, if you ever met me at a show or if you meet me for the first time now, I'm not full on in your face, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, I think I, I don't know if going, if just being isolated makes me more antisocial, like, like sometimes I fear like it does, you know, um, because a lot of my work is just like me in a cave with just a few people at a time, you know, spending all of my time making records and stuff like that. So maybe I am like a little more, you know, I guess uh, unapproachable or antisocial, but it's not intentional or anything. It's just like, I'm not just used to being around lots of people all the time. You know, 
I'm normal. Like I don't, I'm not, it doesn't bother me. I just, I've noticed that over the years that I'm like, yeah, it's like, it's becoming fewer and far between where I'm actually just surrounded by a lot of people. Strange. Like to, to notice that, you know, like, you know, my wife works in New York and she commutes to the city every day and she works for this company. So she's always around all these people. And I've noticed like that we interact with, new people we meet differently and she's a little more outgoing and i'm like yeah i I guess it's just because of what i've become you know um but i never you know i'm nice i think i'm nice i don't try to be like mean or unapproachable if somebody wants to talk to me about anything i'm always down you know yeah no, definitely. I, I, I mean, I think it is, uh, you know, it, I'm glad you've, you know, kind of reflected and put some thought into it because it is interesting where, you know, you, you definitely thread a unique needle of, you know, being, you know, a band guy, but then also being, you know, creative as far as your, you know, music production is concerned. And that's obviously what lends you, you know, credibility because you're not just like this you know, producer who's good at producing records, like, you know, clearly you have, uh, you know, talent outside of that too. And so, you know, I, I think it does put this like, um, you know, uh, the, these two worlds that you kind of have to exist in where it's like, you know, even though you obviously don't actively tour, but just that notion of like, you know, the, the show experience and being around a lot of people, but then you're like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm usually only around, you know, two or three people, you know, maybe for a month <laughs> otherwise. Yeah, it's like uh, I I don't take it for granted anymore. Like I I definitely have made in the past few years. I was like I should go to more shows, you know, because there was a period there where I wasn't. I was just like working a lot, and my friends would come through, or bands I had recorded would come through, you know, New Jersey or New York, and um, I was like, oh, I can't make it tonight. Like I I gotta work, and I would I wouldn't like reserve i wouldn't like carve out time for my schedule to just go to more shows and like i don't know the past year i wound up going out to more shows and uh it was good for me like i definitely felt like uh it was like more of like a connection to that world than i had had in in, like the previous years and and it was like it just felt good to like reconnect to some of that stuff you know and every time ang goes out we always have a blast and then we come home and I'm like, yeah, I should do this more. Like, this is good for me to do, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and we are, you know, like we've, uh, we've actually, the bands talk about it and, you know, and like, obviously with the state of the world right now, it kind of sucks because we were gearing up to do a lot more, more than the band ever had. And then, you know, a bunch of things got scrapped. Um, but we're going to try to do that again once like everything kind of turns back on because, yeah, we all like it. You know, it was like Greg is in a similar situation that I am because he produces records all year and doesn't tour full time. And, you know, we all felt like, hey, this is like, this is fun to do. Like, these songs are fun. We all like doing this. We should probably try to do this more, you know? Yeah. Right. No, and it's, it's good because I think that, you know, and I'm sure you experience this in, you know, the production of records and, you know, that, uh, that notion of when bands kind of lock themselves in this sort of perpetual motion machine of touring. And really that's their only life experience. You know, sometimes it's really hard to, uh, you know, not only creatively come up with more stuff, but then, you know, actually have something to say on their, you know, sophomore or third LP. And usually it's like, you know, that's when a band gets kind of trapped into just writing about tour or whatever, when you don't have these other experiences, but, you know, to your point of kind of being able to dip in and out of that and do something 
that, uh, you know, creatively satisfies you while also being able to play a couple of shows, like it gives you that holistic balance. Yeah, I think that balance is important. And like for bands that over, I wouldn't say over tour, but for bands that are so full time that don't reserve moments to do other things in their lives, I do think it's uh, in a way sort of counterproductive for them too. not only for the mental state of just like never being home. And I mean, there's like, God, there's a million fucking pop punk songs about missing your home or not want, you know, and it's just like, yeah, you don't want to become that guy over time, like where you've just disconnected yourself from the, the actual world and only live in a van, you know, with five people. And I think that balance is like, is, is important. You know, it's healthy for bands to like take breaks, have a hobby that's not music, do something else. And then you get to like, come back to, you know, creating music and touring like fresh and energized again. And, you know, I've seen bands burn themselves out. You know, you put out a record, you get some hype, it, it, it gets traction, it goes well, people want to see you, you're all over the world, like just playing shows, playing shows, never stopping. And then it's like, you know, okay, we're making another record. And it's like, we haven't even, you haven't even had a chance to catch up. You know, you haven't even like the, the like cramming in records in between touring cycles, like it's, it's, it can be really, you know, destructive for bands in that sense. And it's like, you know, I've definitely, when I've been approached by bands who want to make records, who haven't really given themselves time in between tours, I'm like, maybe we should do this. Like, why don't we do this later? Or why don't you take one more month and like actually just go home and be normal for a little bit and then jump into, you know, another record. And sometimes it really helps, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's that balance is super important. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's cool when, uh, you know, and I think a lot of that comes from, you know, just age and perspective and understanding that, um, you know, the constant pursuit of success does not equate to, you know, the appropriate creative output, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you do need that balance like you're talking about. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so kind of focusing on you as a person, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I know you, but I don't know you at all at the same time where, you know, were you born and raised on the East Coast? Like, what was your kind of, you know, uh, I guess, growing up like? Yeah, I've been, I've been, uh, I lived in New Jersey my entire life. I, I uh, was born in like central Jersey and, you know, lived, lived up to there through high school and then moved up closer to the city to go to college. And I've kind of been in North Jersey, um, you know, my whole adult life, I guess, in, in and out of areas around, around New York City. Um, and yeah, never moved, never moved away. Um, I actually am pretty grounded here now because we just like kind of, we just bought our new spot, which will be my like house and studio and kind of everything on this one big compound. Um, so I'm going to be in New Jersey for a while, probably till I'm done making records. And then I'll probably head somewhere a little nicer. <laughs> per se. But, um, <laughs> sure. Cl more yeah, climate. I, yeah. I, I like the East coast. I mean, I've been everywhere and I, I do like the East coast. It's probably not where I want to die and retire, you know, um, maybe somewhere by a beach would be cool. But uh, where right now, I like being in an area where things happen in the music industry and all the shows come through and um, it's accessible for everyone. And, uh, you know, all my friends and family are here and stuff. So I'm just, I'm just going to be here for a while, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and so, and what was your, I guess, household like, you know, like mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters? 
Yeah, uh, pretty normal uh, childhood upbringing. You know, I have a sister and my parents uh, were pretty supportive of me as a kid. Not super supportive of me doing music. It was the, I did well in school, so they always just wanted me to be a doctor. And, you know, it was like that that was a struggle later in my life when I tried to switch gears with them trying to understand how, uh, you know, recording hardcore bands was going to make a <laughs> pay the bills. Think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think they just didn't understand it initially until it started to work. And then they, you know, now they, you know, my mom thinks it's great now. My dad's out of the picture nowadays, but uh, I have a very supportive mom who is the best. And um, he, she's, uh, she's way on board with all my life choices now, which is great. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And are your sister younger or older than you? She's a little younger than me. Um, she's a citizen. I call her. She works in insurance. Sure. She's a civilian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's a, she's a, she's a normie, but yeah, she's got a she's got her own family with a husband and two kids and um yeah, everything's good on that side. No no crazy family stories. Yeah, no, no, that's awesome. I, I, the only reason I dig into that is just because, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, even though people may have a very, uh, you know, sort of uh, typical upbringing that, you know, what you're talking about in regards to when kids start getting attracted to a subculture, regardless of your background, even if parents are totally understanding and supportive, uh, they still run into the notion of just like, this is not conventional. I don't know how to describe this to my friends, what my ch- children are doing. Like, you know, it just, it becomes, yeah, of course. right. And it, it was, becomes difficult. Yeah. I mean, as a child, they always supported me doing music, but never probably just always saw it as something that would be a hobby for me. You know, I mean, my mom used to drive me to band practice when I was like 14 years old and couldn't drive. And so, you know, like in they, you know, I wanted guitar lessons as a kid. So they, I mean, they, they always supported me like pursuing the arts, but I don't think they realized that it would be more than a hobby one day. And then when that sort of turned over, there were some hard conversations of me, you know, Hey, I think I'm dropping out of college with like 10 credits left to go record. (laughs) They just couldn't, couldn't really process like that was a tough one to swallow for a while but then what i mean once they saw how committed i was to it and where like how it was going to be i was going to be okay you know it 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 was uh i think it clicked for them eventually when they got their heads around it yeah for sure for sure um you know so what uh what did your parents do for a living um my mom works um in insurance also okay like uh works with hospitals and kind of is like a is coordinates between doctors and patients handles sort of collections claims and stuff yeah yeah sure. it works yeah yeah the the good old uh the good old medical industry um yes she's been in that for a long time she's good at it and uh she's very busy right now that's I, for sure i could imagine i could imagine <laughs> Hey, this is Sam Sumitaro. I sing for a band called Drain from Santa Cruz, California. I'm here to tell you about our debut record called California Cursed, now available on Revelation Records. This summer, we're going on tour with Go to revelationrecords.com for more, and here's four seconds of what we sound like. I'm stoked to be part of the Revelation family. Let's take the remaining 26 seconds to dive into what it means and what's up at Rev. 
Revelation kicked things off in New York City in 1987 with Warzone, Lower East Side Crew. After that, Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of Today, Judge, Inside Out, Chain of Strength, and many more. The times changed in the early 90s, and Rev was there with artists like Quicksand, Texas is the Reason, Farside, and Into Another. There's new music from World Be Free, Constant Elevation, Urban Sprawl, Dare, and reissues of the classics from Inside Out, Side by Side, and Orange 9mm. Check out the Spotify playlist series. Uh, it's all at revelationrecords.com. Um, and, yeah. and so, and, and like you said, like, you know, when you're kind of, you know, going through school, like you got, uh, you know, good grades and like you, did you find yourself, I guess, um, you know, this isn't to, uh, you know, like, uh, puff up your ego or anything like that, but you know, school comes easy to some kids in regards to like, Oh, this, you know, I can do this and get a B or I can try a little harder and get an A. Like, where did you find yourself? Like, did you, you know, really have to like work hard for stuff or was it like, no, I'll just, I'll find these B's and I'm cool. Uh, no, I was like a, I was like a smart ass in school. I didn't, um, I, uh, was just pulling straight A's and, was very bored with school. Got it. Um, I would like barely study, go to hardcore shows, like, you know, still get an A. <laughs> you're, you're what, you're one of those kids that teachers, uh, this is just, you know, uh, I come from a family of teachers. My wife's a teacher, my mom's a teacher. So it's one of those things where, you know, they always have that one student where it's just like, man, it, they just, it seems like they just don't care at all, but like, they're still getting, you know, okay grades and man, that's, uh, you know, not every kid can do that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I had, yeah, I had a, there were a lot of weird talks with, you know, school shrinks and principals and parents in the office, because I'd be, like, pulling straight A's, but, like, getting suspended and getting into fights and, like, doing dumb shit and pranks, and, like, I was never uh, a good, like, I was a, I was pulling good grades, but I wasn't a good student at the school, you know, and there was a lot of, like, we don't understand, why are you like this? your grades are like you could be going to an Ivy league school. Like you're, if you keep messing up like this, you know, I, I was just a lot of, I don't, you know, just me being a kid and having fun and being an idiot. Like it didn't, you know, looking back on it, I could have like ruined my life, but I, I guess I didn't maybe deep down. I just never was interested in anything. I was really studying anyway, you know? Sure. I mean, I, it's not that I'm not interested in math or science, but it's like, I don't know, maybe earlier than I, then it kind of, before it even came to the surface, maybe earlier, I realized that, you know, everything I was like studying and trying to pursue in college, and maybe I just didn't really care about it, you know? Um, yep. No, yeah, I, I totally I guess, get it. You know, I'm not a dummy. I did do well in school and uh, without really having to try, uh, it's just, it's just, it's just how it went, you yeah, know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Just like, like I was saying, it just, you know, there are certain, uh, you know, certain things like, and especially it doesn't necessarily, uh, mean that you're, you know, a, an incredibly smart person. Like you might've just been able to obviously understand how to kind of play the game. Like, you know, the moment where it's like, Oh, if I put this, this much effort into it, I'm able to achieve this grade. And like, when you sometimes know how to do that, like you just, it's just about, Oh yeah, this is how I can get through high school with these sort of grades. Yeah, I think I, um, I, you know, I, I definitely had to work for my grades, but I definitely wasn't, I could, I was never a teacher's pet or an overachiever, you know, um, I probably did the bare minimum to keep those grades and then just worked, did other things with my life, you know, um, yep. 
but yeah, I like, you know, I'm lucky that, you know, my life didn't take a weirder turn there. And, you know, some of my silly mistakes in high school didn't turn into like being expelled from high school or like not being able to go to college because I have this thing on my record or anything like that. Um, you know, it would have put me down a different path in life. Maybe who knows? Um, so looking back, it probably, probably wasn't, I was probably making stupid decisions, but, uh, you know, it all, that's what, that's what, yeah, that's what, that's what you're supposed to do as a kid. Uh, um, I feel like, yeah, I, I mean, now I'm like, you know, if I could talk to myself when I was 16, I would be like, just, just don't do this. Like you, you know, like, do you have to like punch a kid or like, or like get suspended or break this or like, you have to do this. Could you just not, and then not get grounded and not like almost ruin your life. Like, you know, so I, I don't know. I yeah, make some, yeah, right. Make some different decisions. Yeah. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Ray. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So would you kind of consider yourself like, uh, you know, reflecting back on that, like were you kind of a a troublemaker per se, or was it one of those things where you, okay. I think it was just a reaction to like the kids I was with in high school. I was, I, I wouldn't say the only, but I think in my grade and like, I was probably literally the only kid who was into like hardcore. Um, and, uh, I, all of my friends, I live on a border between two towns, very close to the edge of one side of a town where it was Sayreville, New Jersey. And all my friends are from Sayreville, New Jersey when I was in high school, cause I worked a job and that's where I met everybody. And those are the kids who were basically in my neighborhood. And that school was like right down the street from my house. But I would, I was bused like 20 minutes another way to go to this, to go to Oldbridge High School, which is like, um, you know, of one of the biggest high schools in the state. And um, I was just on that town line where like, I didn't go to high school with all my friends. And when, even like as a, in through middle school, all the kids I went with in middle school wound up going to like a Christian high school um, it, it, because it was a better, it was a better school. It was like more of a private school style thing. And uh, I'm not Christian. So I, I wasn't able to go to that high school. So I like from middle school, and then into high school, I basically never went to school. I never went through high school with my friends. And uh, the stuff that I was into and the music, you know how polarizing high school kids could be. Like, I'm the weird, like, heavy metal kid in, in this school, you know. And uh, I didn't have any friends that I could, like, connect with, with, like, my hobbies or, you know, outside of, you know, the, the music I listen to is it's a very defining characteristic of who you are in high school, you know? Totally, totally. So like, yeah, even though I had like, I was doing, I was like, you know, being normal, trying to fit in, like still making friends in my classes. I, I wrestled a little bit in high school. So I was like doing for, you know, I was doing things, but I was like, I don't know. I just didn't really have a connection. I mean, you know, most of your friends like the music you like. It's just a thing that happens. You just gravitate towards people like that, you know, because you share similar tastes and interests. And uh, yeah, I, I was like on my, I, I was like on an island in high school where I was never really good friends with anybody in my school. So a lot of, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of troublemaking and a reaction to that. It's just feeling like, yeah, I'm like this. I'm just this man, odd man out here. So I yeah, you well could be that guy. Sure. You, know? you couldn't. Right. No, I understand. Cause like, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you're, when you're experimenting with so many different things, you know, and trying to find yourself in high school and like, you're just trying to find your, you know, community, even though you obviously don't even know how to articulate that at that point, you're just, like you said, you're trying to fit. It's like, Hey, I'll, I'll do the sports thing. I'll do the music thing. I'll do the, you know, whatever thing in order to try to find those people. Um, and obviously it wasn't until you, you know, kind of got swallowed up by music and realized that that was your community. But yeah, I, I totally understand what you're talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just, 
that's just a moment in time where, you know, that's how I was. But luckily, high school and for everyone, yeah. the real world. So, yeah. So, and, uh, I'm going to presume that, you know, just based on your descriptions of your kind of, you know, your, your sister and your mom and stuff like that, that like you didn't come from an incredibly like musical household or like music wasn't something that was like, you know, kind of handed down to you from your parents. Um, it, so where did, I guess, kind of the introduction of independent music kind of come to you? Was it, uh, you know, um, well, my father had a guitar. It's funny. I'm like actually staring at the guitar right now because it's sitting in this room, but it's like the, uh, <laughs> It was this acoustic guitar. Uh, like, he never really played. Like, he, he, I think at one point he had tried to play guitar. And uh, and uh, it was always just, it was, like, around the house. So I, it was, like, the first, like, guitar that I had ever been able to play, you know. But they weren't, like, um, they liked music and stuff. They just, like, you know, like, old, old white people music. Like, Elton John, Billy Joel, Neil Diamond, that kind of thing. My, uh, my dad was obsessed with Neil Diamond, his favorite artist, and just the softest the softest rock you know i was my my music was very anti that stuff maybe just from uh being brainwashed with all that music as as a child not that i don't like now i appreciate all that stuff but it wasn't it wasn't something that i was really into uh as a kid but they were into music they and supportive of me doing music they just weren't um you know that i didn't i don't come from a family of musicians or anything like that it was just it was all kind of self-taught through the way. Got it. Got it. And so what, you know, I guess, how did, how did that kind of get introduced to you? You know, just cause like you said, you were kind of, you know, on your own devices and, you know, you had some friends from that perspective, but um, you know, were you just kind of finding out about stuff on the radio, then you started to kind of dive deeper or was MTV kind of a entry point? Um, yeah. It's like, I, MTV was definitely cool. It definitely helped me, Ear music I would have never heard, you know, because I think with my circle of friends that were around me and my family and stuff, I wasn't exposed to anything like that. So I do have to probably give that a lot of credit to showing me grunge music and alternative music and stuff like that. And uh, if it didn't exist, I don't even know if I ever would have been interested in like picking up a guitar, you know. I don't even know if I ever, if I would have heard it until I was older in life and then maybe I would have been in a different place or I would have had different tastes, you know? Um, but I, I, uh, my real introduction was when I was like 15, I started to work at a supermarket or four, 14 or I guess 15 I was. And, uh, I had met some kids there who all played instruments too. And they were into the hardcore scene in New Jersey. And there was a couple bands at that other high school that had played shows in the area and stuff. So I actually like started to go to shows around that time with these kids and that was like my first introduction into you know they were opening for touring hardcore bands and like the more popular local new jersey hardcore bands at the time so that was like really my introduction into that world and i was just very into it right away you know we had we had started to go we went through a show or two and i was like i want to start a band like i want to do this now (laughs) that's that's awesome what were what were some of those bands because i mean you're i I, taken played uh you know many many shows in new jersey and there were so many i would have i would have caught taken at some point in new jersey around like hamilton street cafe nine or so oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah i guess um i don't know if you remember club benet which was turned into club chrome but that was really like the spot that was where, where everything came through um later in life i wound up working there 
because I was like, this is just like where I want to be all the time. <laughs> and I was like door guy for a minute, did security stuff for a minute. I was like, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time at that place. That's um, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. All, all the every you know everything on the on the east coast and then the bigger touring stuff just came through that area at that time so through my high school years i mean i was so lucky where we were i got to see everything that was cool you know um i i, I talk to kids now who are like yo this band like i wish i could have seen them like yeah so i'm like five times right down the street from where i live yeah um, totally and, and yeah it's like i don't i couldn't even the list is endless you know i couldn't even fire off everybody but it's like i don't i, I was spoiled it, as far as hardcore shows went we saw we got everything over here yeah know? well and i i, I love yeah. i loved new jersey too because it was always i mean being from california and then going to the east coast and being like wait a minute you can play like six shows within two hours of each other and they're all drastically different shows uh, you know, like different kids are coming out. Whereas like, you know, in Southern California, you're like, yeah, you could play LA, San Diego, Orange County, but like, you know, then you got to drive up to San Francisco and it's like, wait, you could just like hang out in New Jersey and then pop up to New York and pop down to Boston. It's like, this is wild. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's, and like, seriously, a lot of bands like got their jump off from the East coast. Cause that's how you could build an audience, you know, like, all the weekend warrior bands before they turned into real bands would just run up and down the coast. You know, you know how many times bands like, you know, Hey Breed and Lamb of God and all of that stuff would just like do the weekends and run up for, you know, we're going to do Virginia then we'll do Philly, you know, or then we'll do Baltimore and then we'll, New York, Connecticut, Mass, and just like circle up and down, play four or five shows. And, and uh, yeah, like that just had everybody over here would just do that, you know? So we'd get the stuff, from the south and the north that would always just like include new jersey we were dead in the middle of it you know through this perfect like crossroads point for the whole coast over here yeah and the shows were awesome everybody wanted to come play here too because we the, sh the shows were crazy you know and like highly attended there was like a you know there was like a real fan base for extreme music in, in new jersey at that time like you know that would have rivaled almost any scene in the country for sure yeah no I, I totally agree uh so what were kind of like you know uh some of your i guess gateway bands as it were that you know really started to you know get you interested i mean like you said once you went to a couple of shows you knew you wanted to you know play in a band and stuff like that but what were kind of you know your uh your, your touchstones early on um a lot of the early victory stuff you know one of the, i think all at war was one of the first shows i went to um like the harder stuff from this area played played out a lot. Um, you know, you had you had like E Town Concrete, which was like a New Jersey staple at the time. And yeah. Candiria from Brooklyn and uh, like Fury of Five. Like I was, I was, I liked the hard stuff. Yeah, you you you, you were a you were a pseudo yeah. pseudo thug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought I ate it up because I did like ra I, like as a child up until you know the end of middle school i uh i listened to a lot of rap music that was just like pop, that was like you know the most popular yeah yeah the rap like explosion of the time i was i was super into it to me that was extreme you know i liked it was the the form of extreme music that i had found you know and then grunge was extreme music to me and then you know metallica was extreme music to me and slayer and then I saw a couple hardcore shows. I'm like, oh no, this is this is it. Right, like, this, is... This, is, this is just <laughs> the sum of all these parts into the the most realized like 
over the top extreme stuff, you know? Um, and then like, you know, the more that was like my gateway. And then the more sort of, uh, I guess I'll call it artistic side of stuff started to creep in and Dillinger exploded and, you know, Converge would come down here a lot. And it, it was like, then I got kind of got introduced into like a more, you know, that world of like, the tech uh, side felt more creative hardcore you know like where yeah where it kind of opened me up to like new ideas with music and i was really into a, a lot of those bands and kind of took a deep dive and found botch and cave in and all, all those great records and um i think like a lot of yeah it was like and the, the great part about this time was like all these bands would just play shows together so it was like you didn't you got to see all of it you know i mean there were so many shows around here that were like Oh, we're gonna do. Um, it's gonna be like Convergent, Heatbreed, and Candiri and Etam Concrete. Yeah, and it's like there's so many different things happening. You know, where it's like, yeah, it, it was just great to. It was great to be exposed to all of that at once, and I liked all of it. You know, and I still like all of it, but it, it kept my, it kept things fresh, and it kept my like mind open to like, this is cool, and so is this. Yeah, know? and I think that, I think being exposed to so many. Um, different styles of music like kind of acting uh, like on these like collective shows uh was real really important for me to develop as a musician and even today i still attribute that that time as like this is how i learned how to like how what music was like how to make music and uh, it all comes from that time yeah no i i really i i appreciate that picture that you paint because i do think it's important that like you know, as you're doing your musical discoveries, you're kind of lifting up these rocks and finding all of these other, you know, genres and subgenres on top of each other. And you travel down that hole until you kind of reach your, your, you know, limit of like, okay, this is, you know, I've got enough or whatever. Usually when you're a kid, there's never enough, but yeah, being able to kind of combine that all together leads you to having a more uh, holistic picture of what you know music can be it's like yes you can like e-town and then you can also like a band like the luddite clone or whatever <laughs> you know like they're, they're not mutually exclusive yeah and i think at the time the band's like we're on board with that too you know more so than you see today like you don't see as much of that extreme crossover within the subgenres today on touring and stuff because people have a tendency to like maybe play it a little safer and book a style of tours that are more down the line and work. And I get that, you know, there are fan bases that are more closed minded and just want what they like at, at it when they go to see a show and you have to stack a lineup a certain way. So I, I do understand it, but it was like, at the time, I think like the mentality of it all was like, you know, that the community as a whole was more interesting and better off if everybody played these did these shows together and and supported each other to in a, like a more extreme way you know yeah oh no i i, I mean I, I definitely agree and uh, you know while this may sound like you know we're viewing the past through rose-colored lenses i think it is one of those things where usually i mean bands like that played together because you know there was either uh you know a lack of amount of bands to play with uh, or it was just kind of like you said, it was kind of part hardwired within the communities around the country that it's like, yes, like an emo band would play with a hardcore band would play with a, you know, a, a screamo band or whatever the case may be. It would be just like a, kind of a default of that particular area where it's like, oh, yes, like everybody plays together because, you know, whatever. That's what we do here. Yeah, I mean, for sure, the fact that there were less bands made it more 
okay, well, this is how you have a good show, you know, uh, and now today it's probably to a point of oversaturation where it's like, well, these are the bands that go with these bands, you know, um, and at the time, you know, I, I, I had no perspective on any of this stuff. I was just no, excited. You're just consuming it all. Getting a little of everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers pots and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios walkways and gardens with the home depot's mother's day savings event happening now get vigoro potting soil just $8.97 for strong healthy vibrant plants indoors and outside start your mother's day shopping and saving today by checking out the home depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options see homedepot.com delivery for details the home depot how doers get more done this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global when you come back with a purdue global degree you create opportunity for yourself your family and your future it's a degree you can be proud of a degree that employers will trust and respect purdue global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals these include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Band merch is something I've been obsessed with ever since I started to go to shows. I just loved the aesthetics and buying merch. And then once you could order merch through mail order, my world expanded in ways that I could never, ever come back from. And rockabilia.com is your source for everything band merch related. If this website, well, first of all, if the internet existed when I was 14 or 15, my brain would explode already. But if this website existed uh, you know, when I first started to buy band merch, it would be game over. It's already game over because I have 
I don't know. I would probably venture a guess, probably 600 plus band shirts. It's ridiculous. But anyways, use this code PC100Words that gets you 15% off your order. You're supporting a small business. These people are hustling to get your merch, your long sleeves, your sweaters, your, um, you know, the, anything. They have puzzles. They have, I'll bet you, you can find swim trunks on there because, you know, it is getting into summertime. So Rockabilia is your source for all of the officially licensed merch that you could possibly shake a stick at. Bands get paid. You're supporting an independent business. It's just that there's a win-win scenario all the way around. So rockabilia.com, browse to your heart's content and use the code PC100Words. That gets you 15% off your order. Very, very cool stuff. So thank you, Rockabilia. And now here's the rest of the show. And so, uh, like you mentioned, you know, you, uh, you were going through school and getting exposed to music and the idea of playing in bands and stuff like that. Um, you know, what was your, I guess, kind of, uh, vision as far as like, cause I mean, clearly you went to college. What did you study in college? I was going to school for biomedical engineering. Um, well, that is, was... that's pretty ridiculous. Well, like that's, <laughs> you, yeah. that, that's a lot, dude. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, uh, it was pretty tough. It was a pretty tough curriculum too. And it was like studying microbiology and it was like at the, at the time, the new, like, I guess the wave in that field was nanotechnology. So there was a lot of stuff geared towards that and how like micro robotics work and getting into like, you know, prosthesis stuff. And, um, it was like pretty intense, pretty crazy design classes. And, um, it was like a really, it was a wide background. I had to understand, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, all, you know, physics, biology, all different forms of like microbiology classes. And it it was, it was pretty, yeah, it was a, it was a lot. It was a lot. That field requires um, such an understanding of like all the sciences combined, you know, right. It's not like being a chemist and needing just to know how, chemical reactions work with, the other, with each other in the periodic table and stuff. It's like, you really have to have a grasp on so many levels of expertise at once. Um, I was like, yeah, it was just like, this is a cool, I liked, I love the idea of the field because I felt like it was, that was like on the forefront of what science was doing, you know? And um, I worked at Lysol for a little bit with like a work internship school connect kind of thing where I was like, you know, testing Lysol products, you know, testing like Lysol products and seeing how they react with certain forms of like highly contagious diseases and all this stuff where, you know, some scary, some scary stuff, but also like it was, it was interesting, but the, the taste I got from that field was that um, I think the real driving factor that let me away from that stuff was that the, creative thinking side of it was pretty much dried up and disappeared. Like maybe it's a testament to where our country was at the time, but research and development was gone. You you know, what, what I had kind of gathered towards the end of my stay at college there and from working with that company and stuff, it was not, it was no longer about like, how can we invent new things and how can we create something that is going to change the world for the better? It was more about like, all right, this is what we have. We don't have any money to do anything better. How do we just like make more, more money uh, redesigning this so that it saves our company money, you know? And, you know, when I started towards the end of my college day, I started to look at what the job field was like and people weren't even hiring, um, you know, 
biomedical engineers. They just wanted mechanical engineers. They just wanted people to kind of redesign, to re-engineer things to make them uh, more cost efficient. That was like, it was all like a dollar game at that time. And uh, it really, really turned me off. I think that was partially a real driving factor to me to decide that this wasn't going to be for me. I wasn't going to take all this knowledge and all, all this like kind of struggle I had through college of like, building my brain up to this point where I can work in this field to just go work for somebody to try to save them eight cents on a, on a prosthetic leg, you know, I didn't feel, I just didn't feel good about it. And I just saw into the future about how this career was just going to depress the hell out of me, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it, it was definitely a part of my, uh, turn away, turn away from that stuff. I think. No, that's, that's super interesting. Cause I, I, and I'm sure too, a lot of it, you know, uh, y- y- since you were attracted to this and, you know, clearly you had an experience with the subculture and I'm sure about that point, you know, had maybe had some tattoos and, you know, you didn't probably look like a sort of quote unquote conventional, um, you know, uh, a conventional person following this career path. Um, you know, did people kind of look at you weird where it was like, who is this guy? Like, <laughs> what, what is this guy that like, you know, kind of looks like he likes aggressive music or something like that? Yeah, I mean, my experience in high school was basically my experience in college, too. I still didn't super fit in, didn't have friends. Like, being, you know, I I, I didn't look like everybody else at my school, and I'm wearing, you know, pretty polarizing shirts and have tattoos and all this stuff. And, you know, it was like who I was, but I was, like, pulled in with, like, you know, these are, like, I'm at a school full of, like, you know, kids who have been groomed their whole lives to be scientists and doctors and things like that, who like, look at me, like I'm a piece of trash, you know? (laughs) And it's like, it's fine. I get it. Like I, I looked apart. It's cool. Um, But I like, yeah, I just never gelled with that world the same way, you know, I did with the music community. And it was just apparent through my whole stay there too, that it's like, yeah, these, I had some friends and stuff, but it, it still wasn't the same kind of connection that I had outside of, uh, you know, college. And I think a lot of it, you know, maybe that was part of the driving factor away too. It's just like, hey, this is like a world you don't really fit into. And even though you're kind of interested in it and you're trying to, it's just like, it's just not for me. Yeah. Yeah. This is not, this is not vibing with you. Um, so like, like you said, you know, when you, uh, got taken in by the music community and started playing bands and stuff like that, um, you know, did, I presume kind of your first band started, you know, in high school or did it start a little bit later or what, uh, what was that trajectory? Yeah, it was, I think I was in like ninth grade and we were, we had already had a band, you know, and we were already playing like actual hardcore shows because like, like we said earlier, there weren't a ton of bands around here. We had friends, we were a local band that people would come to see and, um, we got to play so many awesome shows that we didn't deserve to play just because we I, were dude, I love guys. that. Yeah. I love that. When you yeah. find that space of you being the local band that gets the call, like, you know, whatever, once every other month to be like, Oh yeah. Can you want, you want to play the show with Hatebreed or Converge? And you're like, we don't belong on this show, but of course we'll play. Yeah. Well, I mean, man, we played so many shows. We probably didn't deserve to play. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was out of control. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was a blast. Like, right, I was I was playing these kinds of shows when I was like 15 years old, you know, and um, you know, our band wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. Um, we were just kids having fun, but we like were really into it, you know. And uh, I I knew there wasn't a future 
before that band, but we were, I was definitely, I had no intention of ever stopping doing it, you know? And when that band came to an end, I just started another band and then tried again and kind of tried a couple different genres and, you know, played, played with some metal bands and, you know, played with like an indie rock band for a bit and all, all the way up through, you know, until I got really serious at the studio. I was just always just like in a few bands, you know, just trying to like jam and meet new people and figure stuff out, play different kinds of shows. So we, you know, I had like, yeah, it did just a good run of being in and out and stuff, but I don't ever think I was good. That's the thing, you know, um, I don't, I think I was really, I was really enjoying it and interested in it, but I didn't get it at all. Like I never wrote a song that I thought like, like I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand what I was doing and I probably wasn't a very good musician. And I, I like, you know, I had plenty of opportunities where if I had put the right song together, wrote the right record, I, you know, uh, the band could have become a thing at the time. And, and I just don't think we were ever, I was ever good at it. And I think later in life, I think I start to understand the, like why music connects a, a lot better than when I did as a kid. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's, it, it, it's cool when you, you know, kind of do what you're doing in regards to playing with a bunch of different people and different styles of music and, you know, kind of just collecting this wide palette in the same way that you were listening to bands, you know, uh, that were, you know, different genres and subgenres, because then, yeah, it, it kind of adds to your perspective. And then finally, when you, you know, are at a space where you are a little bit better than what you were when you were 16 or 17 years old, you can kind of pull all these desperate parts together and be able to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, be able to at least a, a little bit more confidently do what you, what, what's in your head, you know, which is cool. Yeah. It took me, I had to work in a studio and work with some real bands. I had to be exposed like more directly, I think, to like bands on a higher plane of existence, I think, to understand how horrible I was and be like, oh, OK, I don't, do, I don't do it. I don't do this like this. I don't approach writing songs like this. I don't like think about these types of things when I go to sit down to, to make music or, yeah. you know, like my whole my I mean, it was like such a crazy crash course and like everything you do sucks like pay, pay attention you know <laughs> totally. um, but you know i sponged everything up over the years i mean i still do i still learn from bands i work with and and I, you know every time i make a record i feel like i leave it going with like a new tool somehow you know uh even if it's what not to do you know sometimes i even Sometimes I get, I finish a record and I go, okay, now I know like where I should never go with music. Yep. <laughs> I yeah. Because, you know, you see a problem or whatever and it's like, okay, this type of approach or this type of song or this is like, that does, doesn't connect. Like, so, so don't do this, you yep. know, don't, and use this as a reference in the future if you find yourself here again, you know. Totally. Um, so, yeah, I think the, like that, I don't know. It's, it's an unteachable thing, really. If you just had, I, I was just, I just became so absorbed with making music in this world for so long that now I can look back at it and be like, I get, I kind of get all the ins and outs of it now to a point where if I want to write music, I'm in such a better place, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I, and I know that you, I mean, you've spoken about this in many different interviews and stuff like this, but you know, when you started to work with, uh, you know, machine and started to, you know, kind of be, uh, you know, his engineer assistant, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
you know, that what was kind of your first experiences like similar to what you were talking about, where it's like, oh, once I see a more quote unquote professional band, uh, you know, do stuff, you start to learn. But, you know, what were some of those early memories that you have in regards to like, wow, I can't believe I'm being able to watch this band, like, you know, do this record or, you know, be able to kind of be that fly on the wall, even though you were obviously working, um, that kind of, you know, really just like blew your mind. Yeah, so the the first record, which was also my first day of work, you know, that I had ever experienced or anything like that, um, when I got hired to be like Machines intern, he had just had like a kid and he needed a band. He needed somebody in the studio to just like kind of babysit a band and hit record when they were, you know, they were writing. Mm-hmm. And the deal was like, I would just sit, I would just sit there, not talk, do nothing. And when the band had an idea uh that they wanted to document um i would just hit i would just hit record you know and i watched um i watched uh this band called blood simple which was oh um, dude such a good record it was you know a couple of the guys from vod who was who at the time was one of my favorite bands you know i I loved vod as a kid and um this was my first like actual um this was my first experience in a recording studio. I was like working in a recording studio. I was going to sit there and watch like guys from VOD write music, you know? Um, so it's like, it was like, that was like the first time I ever watched a band that I was like, I think, you know, I had thought VOD was an incredible band. And I was like, I'm, I can't believe I'm actually going to watch these guys, like write a record, you know? Um, I to be honest, I don't love blood simple, but I, I loved, the i love what they were going for at the time you know it was like a different it was like a bit you know vod at that time had sort of fizzled out and this was like a new endeavor for these guys and uh they were like just just hearing those guys talk about the perspective that they had on music at the time and having the goals in mind and i don't know it just had opened me up to like man i never really put this kind of thought into writing music you know and um even though I don't like particularly love that band or anything, I've learned so much from just watching that band, yeah. you know, cause they are a, at, at the core, they're great. They're all great musicians. And uh, to be able to just like be exposed to that was, was like super inspiring to me, you yeah. know, as like a guy, as such a green person at that time. Right. No, no, no. That's a rad experience. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, yeah, the, the record is not flawless. That's for sure. But it's like, I remember when that came out and it was like, you know, anybody who obviously came from the punk or hardcore scene was just like, Oh dude's from VOD. And it was like, you saw what they were trying to do. They obviously wanted it to be, you know, more polished. Yeah, they were, they yeah. were trying to do a different kind of band. And I knew that it wasn't even for me, but I saw them, know that also you know like they knew they knew that they were going to write music to alienate people too but they were trying to do something like they were going for something else and i'm like man i've never even like i don't know they were just they I, it was just a perspective on stuff that i i've never even seen the band write to suit a certain goal like to reach a to reach a, a some kind of goal not even in the world that they came from up to that time i just wrote everything i liked and i didn't care about anything you know right. or tried to and, and uh, yeah, it was like, oh, wow, they're like, there's like a different target in mind here. There's like a di- this, this whole thing is approached differently and they're taking steps in a direction and avoiding certain things that they would normally fall back on. And it, it was it was just like I couldn't even, I can't really even put all of the detail into words, but it was just like 
a really eye-opening experience you know yeah no 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 i appreciate you 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 speaking about that um you know, two things I want to hit on before I let you go. One of them was that, you know, I mean, with, with fit for an autopsy, um, you know, you, you made the, you know, decision and honestly, I don't know exactly where on the timeline in regards to, uh, you know, you, uh, not wanting to tour obviously from the fact that, you know, you're busy producing records and all that sort of stuff. Um, that that's a really interesting and weird thing that not only the band is because, you know, it's incredibly successful and obviously you've put out a ton of records and, you know, you being the sort of musical brainchild of it all. Um, you know, I, I, I don't even know if there's a question wrapped up into this, but like the, the idea of you being like, Hey, I'm going to put all this stuff together. You know, we'll, uh, I'll get some of, uh, you know, my, my friends to go out there and tour and play with it. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's not conventional. Will. <laughs> And I'm sure you, no, rec- I'm sure you recognize that. Of course it's not. Yeah. And I, uh, people get confused about it all the time. <laughs> right. I mean, still to this day, if we put a song out and I'm in a music video or something, everyone's like, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> like, all right. Well, first of all, yeah, hold on. You know, yeah, yeah. 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 I, well, the band, so the band had started like shortly after I had started at the studio and to the point where I was like able to record our first demo, you right, know? So, right. We were barely, but able to do it, you know. And um, then over like the first like initial couple of years in its little gestation state, there we um, the band started to grow as my studio career started to grow, you know. And then I was getting to this point where I was like, kind of becoming my own guy, producing my own records, and I was like, right at that cusp of like, okay, I could do this full on now. Like I, I could pay all my bills. I'm starting to record bands that I kind of like and you know, the, the budgets are getting pretty good and people are actually calling me to make records and I'm starting to make new relationships. And it was also feeding into the band because the interest in the band was growing. People that were liking the records we were making. And then I was kind of getting calls based off of those records. And then we were touring with bands that I was also recording. You know, I like I would work with a band because they liked uh, that fit record that I had made. And then uh, those bands would wind up even like touring together because we would meet, hang out. Like that community was like kind of, you know, we were all those, all those like circles were just connecting, you know, with each other at the time. And the band, you know, the band started for fun. It didn't start as like a, we're going to do a full-time band. It it never, the intention of it never was. It was like, we're just going to play shows around here and have fun. Like I had no one thought we would be a band like that, that, that did 10 months of touring a year, you know? Um, so that started to pick up and I did some touring with the band. And then I realized like the strain it was going to put on the studio, you know? And I was like, Hey, if I do this band full time, I'm not going to be able to have this career. Like I'm not going to be able to have a studio to work out of machines. Going to get another guy in there. Like I can't be gone all year. People aren't going to call me for records because I'm not going to have any records. So I just had, you know, I sat down with the guys. We had like a transitional period where, you know, our, our drummer had the same itch and he, you know, got cold feet about full-time touring and we were like, okay, we have to replace him. And I was like, yeah, we should, we just should talk about this. Right. So what is the goal of the band, you know? And, the guys who were in the band wanted to do it full time. Then they were like, you know what? We're getting these offers. The band's growing. Like, let's do it. I'm like, look, I can do everything in my power to like work on this band, make this band awesome. Like I was invested in the band and these guys were my very close friends. And I was like, I don't want to leave you high and dry. I'll still 
commit to everything I can do with this band, but I can't tour full time, you know, like I'll, I'll write music, record music, handle the business, do, you know, everything that can keep this band growing and doing better. But this is just like where I have to draw the line because I will literally lose my lifetime career. Like I knew at that point if that I would lose my ability to be a record producer. Sure. And they were, they got it, you know? And I was like, let's find a guy who's great at guitar, who can do a better, even a better version probably of what I could do on a guitar. And let's, let's add him to the band. Let's make, have a six piece band. Like he's just a full-time member, not a fill-in because he's not going to be a fill-in. He's going to be the guy in for the long haul. And, uh, and I can stay home and make records and, and work on and work on all the fit stuff, you know, from afar. And it's, it, it was a strange relationship initially, but it's like, I mean, it works out so good for our band. Like, right, totally. I'm able to stay productive at, at home. I, I manage the band and can handle like so much without having to, you know, being on tour and also trying to take care of all the stuff can get, you know, pretty hairy because they have their own to, things to worry about, and their own day-to-day routine and tour managing stuff. And it, it, it's just become this like really good relationship where, you know, I'm still able to like, contribute to the band and help help grow it and handle writing and recording stuff like and be be able to stay creative with the band while they're busy playing a million shows and yeah we just it, it it's very unconventional but um for us i think it works out great you know and the band's only grown since then like we haven't had a side staff or any you know right now we're in a better place than we ever were and i think um you know, it's, it's not broken. So yeah, no, <laughs> no. Happy that it worked out. Right. Right. No. And I, I really, I mean, I, I like that just because it's like, you know, what I've sort of recognized about you from afar is the fact that you really, you know, enjoy the business aspect of not only obviously your production career, but you know, the band stuff as well. And not everybody can kind of step into that, um, and be, um, you know, like not, not only just like be proficient at it, but you know, you, you've had this really kind of specific focus on both uh, aspects of what the business is and enjoy it. And I think when you kind of combine those two, cause you know, I mean, you know, just as much as I do, cause we have many, many friends that exist in the same ecosystem as us, where it's like their, you know, business person in the band, uh, gets kind of thrusted, you know, it gets foisted upon them and it's not like they chose it because they're good at it, you know? And it's like, it, it it's, yeah. It's a hard thing, but you know you've been able to kind of balance that. I wouldn't say I enjoy the business aspect of it. Okay. Enjoy is a crazy word, but I <laughs> I've seen enough stuff be mismanaged, and like I just felt like at least now I feel like I'm in a good place to take care of the band on the business side, and not you know I we really haven't crossed paths with another person where I felt like they'll they'll be as involved and invested in the band as like I would just be if I did it, you know? Um, I mean, I think that's the only reason why I just chose to handle it all. Cause I knew I could kind of do it. I knew I could, all the things the band was trying, all the goals that the band were, you know, was looking to do and all the hills we were trying to climb. I was like, I think I could pull all this off, you know? And uh, like, if we can just do it ourselves, there's nothing better not that it's like fun to be manager all the time. Cause it, I, I like it at times. And then at times I want to pull my hair out. Right. You're, you're a manager too. And I have a full-time job making records. So in, in sometimes it can be a bit of a task, you know, but I was like, I'd rather 
just work it through the right way where we're always making the decisions ourselves and we always have the best interest of the band in mind and you know we we rarely disagree as like a band on what steps should be or what what a decision should be made having an outside person force us to do something that we maybe wouldn't want to do i don't think uh necessarily would would be a great idea for us because we've trusted our instincts from you know the beginning and like have been on a good path with the band so again if it's like not broken i'm not you know there's nothing to fix i'm just happy that it's working um but yeah it's like i don't know i just fell into it and i and i think it's um you know for me i like a, it's as a, as an artist i'm very attached to the whole process with that band and i, I just want to make sure it stays as pure as it is for us right now. Yeah, know? no, for sure. I mean, there's no, there's no greater, um, you know, control of, you know, the artistic vision than when you're kind of like pulling all of the parts moving together and not only the creative process, but the business process as well. And so, yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from and yeah, just not everybody. Yeah. yeah not everybody has the uh, patience or proclivity to be able to kind of, you know, do both. So it's just, it's cool that you have a brain for both. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, to be honest, tomorrow we got a call from somebody who wanted to manage the band who said, "Hey, I, I have this idea. I want to do this. This is where I could see. This is where you're kind of not hitting this, or you're messing this up, and this could be better." And if I saw a whole plan in front of me that was better than mine, I'd be like, "You know what? Let's go do that." You know, but yeah. I just like I haven't. You know, yeah, hasn't the type come of up. Music we play and the size of the band that we are, it's. I don't really think there are like vast opportunities to work with somebody else on like a management level that we're necessarily missing you know um but i'm a, you know if someone someone's got to be better than me at this so i'm right. happy to have that conversation <laughs> totally totally um you know the last thing i want to hit on was the fact that you know i mean your production work especially over the past you know whatever we'll call it you know three to four years not only have you been incredibly incredibly prolific but um you know you've created these real intimate and deep relationships with so many bands you work with, you know, whether it's knocked loose or, you know, straight from the path or counterparts. And like, you know, you ostensibly become like, you know, the sixth or seventh member of, of bands. Um, and you know, uh, many people look at, uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, I see this conversation happen all the time where, um, you know, from the music industry perspective where it's just like, Oh, Will's, Will's booked up for like the next, you know, year. So maybe we need to think about somebody else or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, and then obviously work ebbs and flows where there can be, you know, peaks and valleys and, uh, you know, a, a producer du jour for a couple of years can, you know, maybe fall out of favor for one reason or another. Not saying that's going to happen to you, but I know that you've probably observed it as well. So, like, is it one of those things where you're like, you know, uh, you, you, I guess, uh, you know, the, the idea of like worrying about your demand uh, outstripping the idea of longevity like you know is that is that something you kind of wrestle with or think about i definitely have been concerned about longevity i think um there was a while back i want to say maybe like five years ago or so i don't even i don't i don't know the specific time but there was like a, a year there where i had done a lot of the same stuff i felt like to me and i was like this is um maybe heading in a weird place where I'm not going after, I'm not working with like the right, the right stuff where I feel like I, this is going to sustain me, you know? Um, not that the bands weren't good or that, that I didn't have success that year. Cause it was a good year, but um, I was starting to worry about that uh, like a few years ago. 
And I did make a conscious effort to be like, I need to uh, not care about budgets. If something is like awesome, I need to try to do it. And, you know, just, just for me, it was important to just make important records, you know? And I did take a year or two where I was like, I, I, I think I spent like a year being like, I'm going to try to do a lot of records uh, with bands that I never worked with, even if they're smaller or if they're not like, you know, my go-to bands per se, or, you know, the, the ones that I had already had been doing deeper into their catalog records for and stuff. I was like, I need to find, you know, some stuff and connect with new people and make some records that I think will like start some careers and bring some bands to the forefront of stuff. And then I did like pursue bands like, you know, Knock Loose and Vane and Incendiary. And it was just like stuff that I knew I was passionate about. I had like connected with the music and I was like, I see that I can do stuff with you or, you know, I like, I, I understand what your band's doing and I have like a background in this where I think, we can make um, some really important records again. And I would just like, I just kind of hit those bands up, you know? And um, I wound up making, I wound up like having a really rewarding time doing that. You know, it was like, it was great for me mentally to like only work with stuff I was like really into. And even though these bands were younger or less established or whatever it was like that i just like saw it in the bands i kind of wanted i wanted to like take shots on stuff like that and um yeah i mean some of it's worked out great and um now it's like bands that i have these relationships with that are on higher platforms that will continue hopefully we'll continue to work together and grow together and stuff so i do um i do think about that a lot you know and um I do. I I hate that people think that I'm too expensive or always booked because yeah, I yeah. always try to make I always try to make stuff work if it's the right project. Like there's never been a time where an incredible band has showed up asking if we could work together that I haven't figured it out. You know, whether that's like a schedule or a budget or whatever. There's always like I always try to find a way to make those types of things happen. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, it, it cause it does, it, it's funny. Cause I look at like just certain people where it was like, uh, you know, whatever in the early two thousands where it's like literally everybody was recording with Brian McTiernan. Um, and of course like his situation, you know, was different because he basically just got tired of producing records and shifted away from it. But it's like so many people get kind of, you know, foisted into this, um, this place where it's just like, oh yeah, like, oh, everybody wants to work with him. So like, I'm going to zig while everyone else is zagging, you know, it's like, oh yeah. Then all of a sudden, like that person through no fault of their own, then starts to get, you know, not included on a lot of like pitches for bands and stuff like that. And it's just like, it's, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's whatever the producer's fault or what have you. And then other times it's just like, well, no, that's just the the nature of the business. And so, um, yeah, I was, I was just kind of curious about your perspective. Yeah, I think a lot of it too is like, um, and it's to no fault of any particular producer, but people just have a sound too, you know? And part of it is like designing productions and records that are unique and tailored to the band you're working with. Um, and I've seen, when I see guys fall out of fashion, a lot of times it's because they're not, they're getting comfortable and kind of set in their ways too. And a lot of the records that they make start to sound the same. And that can be very off-putting to other bands. It's like, oh, you want to go record with that guy? No, like, I don't want it to just sound like this guy, this record, you know? Sure. And I think a big part of, a big part of 
having longevity is being able, you know, it takes more work, but you, when you're, when you're working with a band, you've got to give them something that, or at least try to give them something that you haven't done before that no one, that isn't on another record. Like you have to find the ways to make those kind of records, make these records unique. And if you look at like some of the band, you know, like in a year of stuff I've done, like going from four years strong to thy artist murder, like those are different sounding records, you know? And like, they, they don't even sound like the same guy made them. You know, and it's like if I just had a sound, I would stop getting calls from bands like this because it wouldn't, you know, it's not going to apply. It's not going to apply for everyone. And you're going to just kind of, it kind of pigeonholes you and you lose the ability to work with uh, bands outside of from just the one particular production style you have. Um, So I try to keep it interesting, like uh, in that sense. And I'm always like, it takes more work and there's like a lot more. I have to invest a lot more time and creativity into every record I make, but I try to get records to a point where it's like, cool, this like, you know, this doesn't sound like the other records I made and that's cool. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, when people are like, Oh yeah, you have this sound. It's great. I get like real uncomfortable. Like, so, Oh, I love your sound. Like, I'm like, Oh, I hate that. <laughs> you think I have that, you know, I mean, yeah. it's inherent. there's yeah. no way around it. You just, your ears are trying to go to a certain place. So I definitely understand it, but I was like, I'm conscious of it. And especially with the new bands I work with, I'm like always thinking like, I got to make this not what I've done. This has to be something fresh. And, you know, it's like, I think it's just part of the process, but it's also what keeps me interested in it too. Yeah. And I think if I just made the same record over and over again, I'd be pretty over this pretty fast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People would be like, yeah. So if you want uh, Will to make you the loudest sounding band possible, like, yeah, you just go to him for that. Uh, but don't think about him any other way. You know, and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, yes, of course, people are always going to think of you as being, you know, the heavy producer and, you know, working towards bands that kind of sound like that. But, you know, it, it isn't until I mean, to your point, it is always interesting when you have. Um, you know, I mean, it was like, dude, I, when Hope's Fall worked with, uh, you know, Matt Talbot from Hum, it was one of those things where it's like they could have worked with any producer in the early 2000s that could have harnessed their sound and done a really good job with it. But it, it wasn't until they looked outside of what would be considered the quote unquote typical realm to be able to kind of like expand the horizons and thought processes of bands. And then frankly, kind of, you know, make the recording process more, you know, democratized for bands to be like, Oh yeah. Like if I am this sort of band that, you know, if I am an indie rock band, I can think about Will Putney. <laughs> it's like, why not? Yeah. To be honest, I love it. And I still have this mountain to climb. I feel like, because, you know, nowadays like i mean i i listen to less heavy music than i ever have in my life and i listen to more bands in that world and i would love to record you know stuff like that but i don't really get the calls for that because i'm still the guy who makes like all the scary music and um it's not you know it's not something i really should be complaining about because i'm happy and very fortunate to to even have a career to make records but it's like yeah i have a tough time getting over that you know and you're you're just known for the records you make that are popular, and it's hard to like, you know. I, I can sit down. And I've I've been in a room with bands and had conversations with bands, you know, from outside these genres I work with, trying to record them, and you know, those are the ones I usually lose, you know, which I get. And if I was, you know, for a particular band, I can understand the hesitation. Um, but I've like, you know, I'm like trying to make a conscious effort to get out of the box as much as possible and try to kind of work with bands in different worlds because I just think as from a creative standpoint, I would come in 
with so many fresh ideas because this isn't stuff that I've beaten to death for years and years and years like that I could do some really cool stuff but it's hard to kind of yeah it's hard to get bands to take like more of a risk on me per se you know yeah because they're you know I'm not showing them records that sound like their band right you know totally totally yeah it's not it's not like yeah again using an indie rock band as an example be like oh yeah you know will make us sound super heavy and it's just like well uh you know i mean i'm not gonna make you sound like you know uh harm's way like that's a little ridiculous but <laughs> yeah i understand what you're saying though um, yeah i mean i i get it i've like learned to swallow it like hey a lot of these bands aren't gonna be interested in recording with you because you just live in this world so much but um you know it only takes one or two and then something cool happens. And then, you know, if anything, I'll always say like, look, I, I get why you're not, you, why this, it can be off-putting, but like I can take, I've had bands who were unsigned or very, very unestablished and like have put a vision together with the band, made a record and it's worked. And I think just the ability to do that is useful for a band, you know, regardless of the genre, like just to be able to kind of have a vision for a band and help them execute it. You know, it comes with, it comes with its value. And it's one of my, you know, if anything, I could, would consider it one of like more of my stronger points when it comes to record production and approaching, you know, designing records and stuff. But, you know, one day we'll see how it goes. I'm not complaining. Yeah. Everything's all right. Yeah. No, no, for sure. Well, Will, thank you so much for hanging out, dude. This has been fun. I appreciate you letting me uh, to get to know you a little bit more. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. I'm a fan of the podcast, though. It's a pleasure to be on. That's awesome. All right, Will, that was great, and I appreciated him coming on the show. I appreciate uh, his publicist, uh, Tim, for setting this up. And uh, yeah, we're going to have another great discussion next week with Toby Morell from Emory, who um, he does a, a podcast called Bad Christian. And that's kind of how I know him. I mean, obviously, I knew Emory and, uh, you know, become friendly with some of those guys in the band. Uh, but he, his personality uh, really came to light once I listened to that podcast and once I really, um, you know, got to know him a little bit better on that front. So. Yeah, excited to have him and because uh, they have a new record that's coming out very soon. So that's what we got next week. And uh, please be safe, everybody. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, 
There's joy in every journey. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R.